This program is brought to you by Bible Media, overseen by the elders of the Chipman Road Church of Christ in Lee Summit, Missouri. Welcome to the program. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue our studies today in Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8 there, verses 8 through 10. But I want to go back and remember that Romans 13 is divided into three sections, and we've already looked at the relation of the Christian with the government. Today, we're going to study the Christian's one debt to love. In Romans 13, 8, we see the law of love. It says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So does owe no man anything prevent us from purchasing items on credit or long-time debt of some kind? Brother Guy in Woods made this comment, and I quote, Money borrowed is not owed until the note is due. Goods purchased on time are owed for only when the time of payment arrives, unquote. And the Jews were allowed to loan to others under the law of Moses. You go to Exodus 22, verse 25. Exodus 22:25 says, If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as a usurer, Neither shalt thou lay upon him usury or interest. In Leviticus chapter 25, look at verses 36 and 37. Leviticus 25, verses 36 and 37. says, Take no usury, that being interest again, of him, or increase, but fear thy God, that thy brother may live with thee. Thou shalt not give him thy money upon usury, nor lend him thy victuals for increase. So we see that the children of Israel were allowed to lend. And then again in Deuteronomy 23, verses 19 and 20. Deuteronomy 23, verses 19 and 20. Thou shalt not lend upon usury to thy brother, usury of money, usury of victuals, usury of anything that is lent upon usury. Unto a stranger thou mayest lend upon usury, but unto thy brother thou shalt not lend upon usury, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all that thou settest thine hand to in the land whither thou goest to possess it. So Paul's language there in Romans 13 does not prohibit making debts, or excuse me, back up. Paul's language does prohibit making debts that we never intend to pay back. Recklessly borrowing far more than we can afford is also forbidden in this passage. A disregard for our financial obligations brings a blemish upon the church. Brother Robert Taylor made this quote that should never be said about a Christian, and I quote, he will not pay his obligations, unquote. 
In Romans 12:17, we see that congregations should have a reputation of prompt payment to those from whom we purchase, purchase goods. Romans 12:17, recompense no man evil for evil, and then this, provide things honest in the sight of all men. In 1 Peter 2, look at verses 11 and 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from flesh, fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conversation, that being your lifestyle, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. So we are to pay our debts and not go overboard in getting debt. Robert Taylor stated this, and I quote, Preachers, as a rule, are about the hardest ones in the brotherhood to collect debts that are owed on their book purchases. I have been in the writing and publishing business for many years and know from sad experience whereof I write along this line, unquote. So specifically here, Brother Taylor says, preachers are some of the hardest ones in the brotherhood to collect debts. Of course, he's talking about books, but I hope it's not that way on other debts. In Romans 13, 8, we see that loving one another is a debt that we will never totally repay. Let's go back and read Romans 13, 8 now. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. You know, loving God is the chief, the preeminence of all biblical laws. Jesus made that clear in Matthew 22, verses 35 to 38. Matthew 22, 35 to 38. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. But then loving our neighbor as ourselves is the second of all biblical laws. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We are to love the brethren as Christ loves us. John 13, look at verses 34 and 35. John 13, 34 and 35. He said, Jesus speaking, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So you think about the love that we are to have. How many conflicts are there in the congregation where you may be attending? 
do the brethren show love one to another or are they showing strife between each other? If we are going to love one another as Christ loved us, we're going to have to do some changes if there's strife. Not according to doctrine, though. Doctrine cannot be compromised. And love is greater than faith and hope. We read that in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, that's agape love, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. So love is greater than faith and hope. And anything we do will not matter one bit if love's not the motivating factor behind it. And that goes back to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, if I can speak, I mean just lay people out with my speaking, whatever you want to say there. If that speaking is not done in love, I'm nothing but clanging noise. Does no good at all. Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity or love, I'm nothing. Anything we do, you know, Paul's here speaking about those who could do miracles back in the day when miracles were still being performed. But anything we do today, if love is not the motivating factor, you know, a lot of times it's prestige and pride and such things as that. But if love's not the motivating factor, <clears throat> he says, I'm nothing. Not any good at all. And then verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. All the benevolence I could do if I just do it for show, it's not worth anything. It profits me nothing. It may help those that this is given to, but it's not going to do me any good. Even if we gave our body to be burned for a cause, if it's not the cause of Christ, it's nothing. In 2 Corinthians 2, look at verses 6 through 8. 2 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8. What we're looking at here is the man who was withdrawn from, withdrawn fellowship from, is what he told them to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and that being the man that had taken his father's wife. He was living in adultery. And Paul told them, withdraw fellowship from him, and apparently they did, because 2 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8 is a reference back to that individual. And he says here, sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. All right, this punishment, the congregation was behind the withdrawal. You know, if somebody needs to be withdrawn from, and somebody stands on their side because they're a child, or they're a friend, or they're a parent, or they're a sibling, it's not going to do any good. But here, 
in Corinth, this was inflicted of many, and it's, it is punishment. Verse 7, though, says, So the contrary wise, you ought to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So Paul is saying, forgive him. Why? The man had apparently repented. You can't forgive someone who doesn't repent. God can't do that. Neither can we. We can have the attitude of forgiveness like God does. God is willing to forgive, and we should be willing to forgive whenever repentance comes. But not only forgive him, but comfort him. Be with him. Encourage him. Help him. Lest he should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. But verse 8 says, Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. You see, withdrawal of fellowship is not because we're wanting to get even with someone. Withdrawal of fellowship from someone is because we love them. We want them to be saved. We want them to repent. We're going to talk to them about the sin in their lives and what they need to do. And apparently the folks here in Corinth had done that. And he had repented. And now Paul says, confirm your love toward him. Forgiving, comfort him, and confirm your love toward him. That's the kind of love that we must have. We must not love somebody into hell. This happens so many times. We have a child, we have a friend, we have a parent or a sibling that is lost in sin. And instead of talking to them about that sin and following the directions that Paul gave there in 1 Corinthians 5, and we want to go over and look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And we want to begin there in verse 11. And we're going to read down through verse 13. He says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. Keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. Don't even eat a common meal with that individual. I don't care if it's a child or a parent, or whoever, do not eat with them. That's part of the withdrawal of fellowship. Now, verse 12, he says, For what have I to do to judge also them also that are without? In other words, outside the church? We have no authority there. We can't do that there. But he says, Do not ye judge them that are within? those who are within the church. We see by people's lifestyles how they live. Verse 13 says, But them that are without God judgeth. Those outside of the church, God is going to handle. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. That's withdrawal of fellowship. And that is what the Corinthians had done. And it was successful. But withdrawal of fellowship is always successful. If it's done properly, it will either bring the individual to repentance or it will purify the church. 
but it's always successful. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, we find that love makes us beautiful and useful to God and to others. Now, I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 from the literal translation of the Bible this time. Love has patience, is kind. Love is not envious. Love is not vain, is not puffed up. Does not behave indecently. Does not pursue its own things. Is not easily provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love quietly covers all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the kind of love that we must have. And love never fails. That's First Corinthians 13:8, going back to the King James Version. Charity never faileth. But whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Of course, we're looking at the miraculous here. Prophecies have ceased. Tongues, speaking in foreign languages that you have not studied, have ceased. Miraculous knowledge has ceased. Miracles are gone. They have vanished away. But love is here to stay. In 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, we find that love is the apex of Christian virtues. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, or self-control, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity, or love. That is the apex of those Christian virtues. In Galatians 5, and 23, we find that love is the beginning virtue of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So love is the beginning virtue there. And love links us with God because God is love, the epitome of love. 1 John 4, 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And then 1 John 4, 16 Verse 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So if we dwell in love, and we dwell in God then, and God dwells in us. In first, or excuse me, in John 14, 15, and then also verse 21, love defines itself in our lives by our keeping God's commandments. 
John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Obey, in other words. Then you drop down to verse 21. Says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Manifest means make known, and we have been made known, Jesus, through the scriptures. In John 15, look at verses 12 through 14. John 15, 12 through 14. Jesus said, This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever I command you. You know, we sing the song, I'll be a friend to Jesus. Well, are we proving that by obeying his commands? In 1 John 5, 3, 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. His commandments are not that hard. Now, we may have different ideas on that, but the inspired writer says his commands are not grievous. All you have to do is obey. Love makes us more like Jesus. John 13, 1. John 13, 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He even loved Judas, the one that betrayed him. And we, if we love are becoming more like Jesus. In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And then drop down to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. In Revelation 1.5, Revelation 1.5 says that the revelation is, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Again, back in Romans 13, 8, if we love one another as we have been shown in the scriptures, we have fulfilled God's law. Again, it says, O no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, you look at that verse, the, little, the article V is not in the Greek before the word law. Young's literal translation and the interlinear translation both show that. Young's literal says, To no one owe anything except to love one another, for he who is loving the other law he hath fulfilled. 
And then the interlinear, Greek, English, interlinear here, says, to no one anything owe ye, unless to love one another. For he that loves the other, law has fulfilled. In Romans 13, 9, each of the laws mentioned in verse 9 have to do with our love for one another. Romans 13, 9. It says, For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Committing adultery, that's not loving your neighbor as yourself. Murdering someone, that's not loving your neighbor as yourself. Stealing from someone, that's not loving your neighbor as yourself. Bearing false witness against them, that's not loving your neighbor as yourself. Coveting what they have, that's not loving your neighbor as yourself. And anything else that would fall in that pattern, if we do such things, that's not loving our neighbor as ourselves. You know, the first four commandments in the Ten Commandments had to do with Israel's duties to God in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 11. Exodus 20, verse 1 through 11. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Number three, in verse seven, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And then the fourth commandment in reference to man, uh, Israel's duties to God. Verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So the first four had to do with Israel's duty to God. The last six of the Ten Commandments focused on their duties to their fellow man, and that's verses 12 through 17. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. When we looked at the way children react with their parents today, there is very little honor that is given. Number third, or the number seven, I guess it would be, or number six in verse thirteen: "Thou shalt not kill." Whenever you look up the Hebrew word there, it means "thou shalt not murder," commit murder. 
Number eight, thou shalt not commit adultery. Again, against your neighbors, what that would be. Number nine, or number eight now, verse 15, thou shalt not steal. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And then number 10, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor, anything of thy neighbor's, his house. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's, covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. All these last six commandments have to do with our dealing with one another, have to do with their dealing with one another. And these things are all still, these are in the law of Christ as well in how we deal with one another. Really, the only one that hasn't been brought forward, I guess you might say, is the Sabbath day because we now worship on the first day of the week. In Romans 13, 9, immorality, killing, theft, and coveting all violate the law of love. Romans 13, 9. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If we do any of those things, we have violated the law of love. Adultery destroys another's home and happiness. In 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 4, we see an example of that. After David's adultery and everything else he did, Nathan came to David in 2 Samuel 12, 1 through 4. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd, to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. Now this is a, a kind of a parable of Nathan showing David what David had done. So you look here, adultery is devouring someone's life not only the innocent party, but the man and the woman as well who are involved in that adultery. Adultery is uncontrolled lust that demands instant satisfaction regardless of how many are crushed in the aftermath. This is not the work of love. Murder takes life that is beyond compensation. In 2 Samuel 12, 9, we're going to continue reading what Nathan said to David. 2 Samuel 12, 9. He says, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight, 
Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Uriah was murdered by David. He used the Ammonites to do it, but he was murdered by David. Murder is hate in action. It is not love at work. Theft takes what belongs to another. In Ephesians 4.28 it says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may give to him that needeth. What's the thief to do? Repent, steal no more. Instead of stealing, get out and work. And as you're working, doing what is good, he says here, and you will have enough to help those that are in true need. There are enough people out there today who are fully able to work and yet they're sitting around collecting a government check because they're too lazy to get out and work. So theft is selfishness at work. In other words, what you have is mine. It's not yours. It's not ours. It's mine. That's not love at work. Covetousness is a selfish desire to have what another possesses. When you look at Colossians 3, 5, it's going to say some things that we're to put to death in this life. Colossians 3, 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Put these things to death. Fornication, adultery, homosexuality, premarital sex, extramarital sex, all that's included in that. Sex with animals. Uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You know, whenever we look at these things, these are a lot of these things are words that we really don't use a whole lot. But we go look at them. Again, mortify means to put to death. We've already looked at fornication. Uncleanness is lustful living. Inordinate affection is vile passion. Evil concupiscence is longing for what is forbidden. And then we know what covetousness is, but you notice he describes covetousness in another way. It is idolatry. We are putting someone or something ahead of God in our lives. And that person or that thing has become the idol we worship and that we must have. And then what does that lead to? That leads to stealing, doesn't it? One way or another. So covetousness is the selfish desire on the throne of a person's heart that is not seeking another's best welfare. Brother Robert Taylor made this comment concerning that, and I quote, 
All these grave and grievous evils operate against every syllable of the biblical law of love for a surety. Unquote. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We've seen that several times, and Jesus mentions it in Matthew 7.12. Matthew 7.12 says, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Treat others the way you want to be treated. All too often people have the attitude, I'm going to treat others the way they treated me. That's not the attitude of a child of God. In Luke 6.31, Luke 6.31, Jesus said, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. If you want to be treated poorly, we'll treat others poorly. That's not the way we want to be treated, though. We want to be loved. We want people to be kind to us. We want people to encourage us, things such as that. And that's what we should be doing to others. Well, who are we to do this to? Well, it's the same question that a lawyer stood up and asked Jesus. Who's my neighbor? Who am I supposed to do this to? In Luke 10, 25 to 37, that's where we're going, Luke 10, 25 to 37. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You'll notice there that he wasn't really wanting to know what he needed to do to have eternal life because it says he was tempting him to do this. Well, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, he says there, he said unto him in verse 26, What is written in the law? How readest thou? So he answered his question with a question. How do you read it? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. He already stated what Jesus already said were the greatest two commandments, didn't he? Verse 28, and he, Jesus, he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. So in other words, you've already answered your question. Do that and live. And then verse 29. Verse 29. It says, But he willing to justify himself. You'll notice he wanted to justify what he was doing. Said unto Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor, by the way? Jesus answering said, and he didn't just tell him who. He gave him a story. Verse 30, Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. These thieves were probably highwaymen setting an ambush for those who came by. 
verse 31 says, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Well, he just saw him. He's just a priest. But he just saw him, and he didn't want to have anything to do with that. So he just went on. Verse 32. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. The word look there is from a Greek word that means glance. He just kind of glanced and went on. He didn't want to have anything to do with that. Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, he saw him. He had compassion on him and went to him. The other two, this priest, supposed to be religious, this Levite, supposed to be religious, but this Samaritan, one of these people that the Jews hated, had compassion on him, you notice, went to him. And not only went to him, but it says, and bound up his wounds and pouring in oil and wine. In other words, to help prevent infection and such things as that. Set him on his own beast. So he put him on his donkey or whatever he was riding. And brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took two pence. The King James says pence, I believe the Greek word there is denarius, which would be two days' labor. So he took two days' labor of money, gave them to the host there of the inn, and said to him, Take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. So he gave him money to take care of this individual who had been beaten and left half dead. And he said, I'll be coming by again. And if you spend any more to take care of him, I'll, I'll make sure that I give whatever you have spent back to you. And then Jesus said, verse 36, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? So who do you think was the neighbor here? Verse 37, he said, He that showed mercy on him. Jesus said unto him, Go and do thou likewise. He wouldn't even say the Samaritan, just him that had mercy on him. Paul's conclusion to what he has emphasized so far is in Romans 13.10. That verse says, Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love works no ill. The word ill there comes from the Greek word kakos. It means, according to Strong's definition, worthless intrinsically such, that is, subjectively depraved or object, objectively injurious. Because love fulfills the law, or fulfills law. Whether that would have been love under the patriarchal system, it fulfills law. 
Love under the Mosaic system fulfills law. Love under the law of Christianity, the law of Christ, the perfect law of liberty, it fulfills law. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. The again is not before law in this verse. Young's literal translation puts the verse this way. The love to the neighbor doth work no ill. The love, therefore, is the fullness of law. You know, God has always been concerned with our hearts and our attitude toward others. In Matthew 15, look at verses 18 to 20. Matthew 15, 18 to 20. It says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. All these things come from our heart. However our heart is, that is how we act. J.W. Garvey made this comment, and I quote, All divine law, whether of Moses and the prophets, of Christ or the apostles, is fulfilled by love. For those things that law requires are the natural, normal acts of a loving heart, unquote. You know, all too often the kind of love we see today is masquerading as love. It's far from what love truly and really is. But a proper understanding of biblical love will cause us to do all things with the right attitude, the attitude of love, and in the right way, the actions of love. Well, we want to stop right there today, and Lord willing, we'll begin next time with the third section here in Romans chapter 13. So again, thank you for being with us today. We look forward to being with you next time. We thank you for joining us today. We hope you have enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find all of our podcasts and all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.